Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. today on NASCAR America here with AJ Allmendinger and Parker Kligerman, both of whom are racing this weekend. AJ in the Xfinity Series, Parker in the Cup Series. So this Thursday show is really just like a warm-up act for the main event. Yeah, except we're not racing each other. That's so and that's probably we can be nice. Good. And then after yeah. the race, we're both going to be on victory lap as well. So Ooh. Ooh. boom, look at that. He's got All the right. same schedule. Busy. That's right. You're going to give me tips this time busy since we're not racing each other? No, no. <sighs> Never gives me tips. No, it's not going to happen. That. That's still, yeah, that, you just have to watch, but yeah. you can watch him on Saturday. Yeah, and exactly. Learn from his line. I'm going to have to. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, on the show today, we have a lot to get to. Jimmy Johnson does his part to help local students and also explains the challenges of the Charlotte Roval. Oh, yeah, he was kind of involved in the big finish last yes. year. Yeah. Facing a must-win situation, we go behind the driver when Eric Jones reveals the biggest influence in his racing career. And it's another edition of Hoots Tales. This time we take a trip to a short track in North Carolina that packs a lot of punch. But we are still breaking down the big news from yesterday. Roush Fenway Racing announced that it will part ways with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. at the end of the 2019 season and that Chris Buescher will rejoin the organization and drive the number 17 Ford Mustang next year. And I know social media going crazy with everything. I know someone AJ reached out to you already and said they had maybe the answer that you should be you, and you should be in the car and you responded with, with this. I mean, I had I had my time and yeah, and uh, is... I'm 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 happy here at the NBC Sports family. Okay. And yeah, so that's a no. That's not Mr. Tickles. That way. is not, that's Mr. not your Tickles, cat. No. Okay. No. It's and an if, imposter. Yes. Yeah. Before we do start this discussion, if you do want to try to follow along, there's a lot of moving pieces. Log on to NBCSports.com. Uh, Nate Ryan just posting today uh, the latest, and it it kind of helps sort of break everything down. And I guess that's what we have to do here, Parker, because anytime in any sport an athlete changes an address, moves teams, you always want to say, okay, who who wins in this? You know what? So Roush Fenway Racing. Yep. Does this a move they needed to make for the organization? Are they now on the better side of things? I think you need to look at this organization from what they've been trying to achieve the last couple of years to see how they won here, how they achieve what maybe they're trying to achieve. And therefore, what I go back to is over the last couple of years, we've watched this organization continually be a fringe playoff organization. They've tried to manipulate ways into the playoffs. I've always called them the team that's moneyballing their way into the playoffs, whether it's you know really focusing on the super speedways with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and putting a lot of resources behind those races and trying to get a win to get in the playoffs or trying to look at points late in the season and say, okay, what do we need to do average finish-wise to make sure we're in the playoffs? But what Ryan Newman exposed this season was that there was a path for this team, even the cars that are outside the top 20 and fastest cars, 
they could point their way into the playoffs. And I think this was maybe one of the worst things for Ricky in that he's not the type of driver that really buys into that points situation. He wants to just go out there and race for wins. He's going to go out there and try to get just the absolute best performance out of that race car. He's a very aggressive driver, whereas Newman showed there was a path by being maybe a little bit more consistent, a little bit more focused on the point situation. So when you look at that and you look at what Chris Buescher does and what he's achieved this season at JTG with numerous top 20s, I mean, the best in that organization's history, you have to think they looked at those numbers and said, all right, if we're truly looking at this in a money ball situation, how can we manipulate the system to make sure that we're in the playoffs? Then the best chance they have is someone like a Busher over Ricky Senhouse Jr. because of what Newman showed them this year. And call it what it is. If you look at Chris Busher, he's just a younger version of Ryan Newman. I mean, that, I mean, that's essentially what you're saying is he goes out there and does the same thing. He maximizes the race car. He never tears up equipment. And I saw this firsthand. He doesn't tear up equipment on his own. I think I could count on one hand by himself something that he did in the in the couple of years that I raced with him. He yeah. didn't tear up any equipment. He maybe had three or four wrecks by himself. And he goes out there and makes sure that he gets all the points possible, which is what he's doing right now. That's how he's got the 37 car inside the top 20 in points. Had 16 top 20s in a row up until Richmond this past weekend. So... He is a version of Ryan Newman. Now, the only thing we've never seen out of Chris Buescher because he hasn't had the equipment in the Cup Series is if they get the cars close enough, can he go out there and win races? And in my opinion, seeing it firsthand, being with him every weekend, seeing how he gets everything out of the race car, if they get those cars close enough to go out there and contend for wins, maybe not on a weekend basis, but you pick tracks like Bristol, certain places like that, and there's so many. Chris is amazing at Michigan, Kansas. You get cars close enough there, he can go win races. So I think this is a great move for Roush Fenway and a great move for Chris Buescher himself. And I would like to go back to, you know, I think a lot of people overlook the fact of, okay, for Ricky Stenhouse, you know, one of the things that, I loved watching him race cars, is that he is so aggressive, yeah. right? He is someone who just puts it all on the line. It doesn't matter if it's practice, qualifying, or the race. He's going to give it 110%. I love that about him. I love watching him drive race cars. For what Roush Family Racing is trying to achieve, though, he probably has proven not to be the driver for them and what they're trying to do. And that's what I believe Steve Newmark really alluded to in his comments and saying they've started to see a path and he just doesn't align with that path. But there is an organization out there yep. possibly that his driving style and the way Ricky Stenhouse goes about driving, that would work for them. It just wasn't right for us. There was numerous life. times he made those cars look faster yes. than they actually were. But we Over saw at times he, he just didn't get the finishes because of being a little too aggressive. So what you guys are saying, I mean, I liken it to um, a quarterback with a great arm, but you're playing for a team that likes to run the ball. It's exactly. just not the right Same strategy, thing. maybe, yep. or that fit for that team. But there's always two sides to every story. So we're talking, if Roush Fenway is a winner in this situation, what does that mean for JTG Racing? And you were saying, you know Chris well, you raced with him. Uh, let's go ahead and listen, before we get into this discussion, um, a little audio clip from Brad Doherty um, uh, about uh, what every, everything went down. Yeah, totally caught us off guard because we're, we were you know, already building stuff for next season as everybody else does and getting ready and preparing. And, uh, you know, and we do our business a little bit different than a few other folks. We, we really drive, you know, our, our small package, small consumer package, good product and placement stuff really, really hard with our, our partners at Kroger. And so, yeah, we were in the full throes of trying to put something significant together and thought we had it done and uh, pretty close to it. And things changed just like that. This catches you off, you know, really by surprise this late in the year, especially, um, you know, you're trying to be as professional as you possibly can. 
uh, about how you handle these situations. Uh, I, I don't ever blame uh, any athlete if he thinks he's putting himself in a situation that's going to be better for him or his family. Got no no problem with that. It's just for us, it's always the timing. And, and uh, getting this late into the season, uh, when you have commitments, it makes it, make it very, very difficult uh, to swallow this easily. So listening to that, it sounds like Brad, uh, Tad, and Jody Geschechter, they were blindsided by this move. Yeah, I really do think they were blindsided by it. But what the info that I've gathered and enough people that I've talked to and, and the way somewhat knew it worked is there was a deadline in crit. He was not a Roush Fenway driver anymore when it per se, the first year he was at the race team, he was on loan. So he was still a Roush Fenway driver that they were loaning. After that, he became a JTG driver, but there was a clause in the contract that when Chris was having basically to re-sign or if the team wanted to re-sign him, it had to be done by a certain date. If that date passed, Chris and, and his management team, they let Roush Fenway know, hey, they don't, they didn't sign. So that was a couple months ago. I don't think anything was really happening until about two weeks ago, it sounds like. And then all of a sudden, the wheels in motion started happening. And Tuesday night, it sounded like the deal was like, this is going to happen. Wednesday morning, everybody knew. So to be perfectly honest, I think it was almost a mistake in the sense like, there's not a lot of rides out there. So maybe they just thought, well, we can kind of just delay this and, and take our time because where's Chris going to go? There's no rides out there. Like, where, where's he going to go? Well, next thing you know, ride opened up and he's gone. And it's a shame for that race team because he's been doing a fantastic job and he's made that car inside the top 20 and look strong every weekend. So it's going to be interesting who they find to replace it. Well, you bring up a good point, and that's that, that relationship that Chris Buescher has with Rush Fenway. I'm glad you explained that because it sort of puts the pieces in motion or the timeline of the fact that, oh, wait, there's this kind of this, this contingency, I guess, kind yeah. of floating out there. I mean, he gave Roush Fenway their first uh, or their last and most recent Xfinity Series championship. And he was with them since he was 16 years old. Back all the way to the Arca Series. He wins a championship there for the Ruler Brothers with being a Roush Fenway development driver. He then gets the opportunity in the Xfinity Series, takes full hold of that opportunity, wins a championship. You know, they invested in Chris Buescher as a driver, invested in his career to bring him up through the ranks. And teams will do this. We saw this for numerous years. Over the last 10 or 15 years, I was a Penske development driver. They invested in my career. And one thing you do if you were to leave them at any point, and I remember this with Penske was always sort of an unwritten thing. Hey, if there's ever a chance for us to join back together, you look forward to that because this is the team that took you as a young kid and gave you the opportunity, and they thought highly enough of you then, and they think highly enough of you in the future to say, hey, we want you to come back. So that's a great situation. So I think, you know, you look at it and say, okay, he's been gone for a little bit from Roush Fenway, but he was always there with them in some respects, and they, they did so much for him to get to this point that he almost, when there's opportunity to come back together like this to benefit both parties – then it's a no-brainer in that sense. So uh, I think it's a cool story in that sense to see teams who have invested in young talent to be rewarded in sort of a roundabout way to come back and say, okay, yeah, this is a guy we invested in. Now he's come back to hopefully help us continue our uh, march forward to be more in the playoffs. And he's far better off being in that car now than he was if he got out of it right out of the Xfinity Series. The experience level, having, what, now four years in Cup that he's been in, uh, he, he knows how to get the job done and – uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Chris. I love being his teammate. We got along great, and I learned so much from him. And I think, as I said, Roush Fenway, they're, they're getting closer. I mean, heck, Ryan Newman's got a chance to make it to the next round of the playoffs. So they're getting closer. They just get it close enough. Both those drivers, we know, 
can go win races. All right, let's not write off uh, that 37. There's still that missing domino of what happens next, so we look forward to seeing what happens there. But you mentioned making that next round of the playoffs. We're going to talk about the Roval. Yeah, there's a big race coming up this weekend. We're going to talk about that coming up. But for today's NASCAR America poll question, we want to ask you which of the four drivers currently below the cut line will rally to make the next round of the playoffs. Oh, you get to pick one. Alex Bowman, Clint Boyer, Kurt Busch, or Eric Jones. You can make your choice at NBCSports.com slash NASCAR vote. Parker, you already have a pick? You have an early oh, pick? Oh, you're putting all the pressure on me? Yes. I, no, I'm going to you. I mean, you're racing in it, so. I know, I know. You I probably, oh, you probably, you probably I should. I thought you wanted to Yeah, you really should know. I didn't know I was putting pressure on you. I thought you had some I, so strong opinion. When I race, I try to act like none of this is going on. Okay. That's my thing, though. So, I, I don't know. So I don't like gonna to think about it. So you're going to adore everyone evenly out Evenly. There? They're all the same to me. Oh, yeah. All right, so will you, do you have an answer that you want to give us later in the show? I'll or give you, you later. just want to stay? Yeah, stay I want to say impartial, see what the fans say. Okay. All right, we're going to have the results later on in the show, but coming up next... Jimmy Johnson explains why he remains confident heading into the Roval this weekend and why the next eight races are important to the team's rebuilding process. That's coming up next. Welcome back. It's time to make a social pit stop. Christopher Bell and Kurt Busch took part in a Roval Pep Rally Tuesday in Charlotte, and they served scoops of Rocky Roval ice cream to fans. What that is, it's salted caramel ice cream with chocolate chunks, marshmallow swirls, oh, and candied pieces of bacon. Everything's better with bacon. Wow. Kurt then joined Justin Allgaier and other NASCAR drivers for Over the Edge. Participants, listen to this, they repelled 10 stories down a building to raise money for children's causes through both the NASCAR Foundation and the NASCAR Hall of Fame Foundation. Is this a good idea? I'd like to be in one of those windows and just surprise them. What? I mean, it's for the kids, so it's always good. And on Wednesday, Jimmy Johnson and sponsor Ally Financial hosted a group of local students on the Hendrick Motorsports campus. It's part of Ally Fueling Futures, a program that educates middle and high schoolers about career paths in motorsports as well as personal finance. Really cool. Of course, Jimmy was involved in last year's memorable finish at the Roval, but he hopes this time around he'll be in victory lane. He spoke with our Dave Burns. Well, for years, Jimmy Johnson and his wife, Chandra, have been giving back to public education, and today's no different, although it has a little bit different spin on it, Jimmy. What are we doing here today? Yeah, this is largely um, Allies Initiative, where they really want to teach financial responsibility uh, to kids all around the country. Uh, we're here today at Hendrick Motorsports. A bunch of high school students are here, and, and not only learning about financial responsibility, but also um, you know, the career paths that exist in a place like Hendrick Motorsports where you think it's just racing, but when you really break it down, there's engineering and marketing and public relations and a variety of different things that, that hopefully we can inspire a kid with here today. And, and they're STEM students, so they're interested in engineering, but, but to get that financial element, obviously Ally's uh, main focus, that'll be key for them, managing your money, Jimmy, right? We had to learn that. Yeah, we had to learn it probably the hard way. Yeah, probably. So in typical Ally fashion, they want to do it right, and, and it's a big initiative for them. It's something that's really important to them to teach that financial responsibility. And, and I'm taking some notes because I have a nine- and a six-year-old coming along, <laughs> and we're trying to yep. figure out how to, how to you know, take care of allowance right now. Uh, notes from them back to you perhaps on the Roval this weekend because there's not a lot of data. What did someone call it? A, a subset of one we have, right, for one race. <laughs> um, but going back to this place now, what, what's your forecast this year? I just need to make that last turn. Uh, yeah. That would be a very yeah. important part and not crash Martin. <laughs> um, 
but you know it, it was just a really technical and demanding track and then I think the changes made are going to add add another layer of that uh, the garage area is smart you know so I think our cars are just naturally going to be quicker we're going to get around there in a little faster pace plus the higher downforce that we have on this year's package uh, I, I think the higher downforce should bring some comfort to us we were really okay. on edge last year so I'm hopeful at least that, that the higher downforce will calm the cars out a little bit you mentioned the exit that was that last lap that's where you nailed it right and you had it in sight you were under a lot more pressure last year I would think because it was a transfer race for you this year are you a little bit more free and easy and maybe that much more dangerous yeah I think for a couple of reasons one you're absolutely right with the transfer although I wasn't thinking of it it was all about a win okay um, you know, I could have finished second and transferred and, and moved on, but uh, good was, was thinking of the win. Uh, and then, you know, I, we're just in a rebuilding phase right now. We're trying to rebuild the 48 and make it into what it what it will be known as from, from this point forward. Clearly, we have a huge history with Chad Canales at the helm and what the car, uh, the history of the car is all about. But but we're in a building phase, and 2019 really has been a building phase. Um, I think we're, we're in a good spot now, and, and we're really looking to these final eight races to set us up for 2020. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about the fact, obviously looking for redemption um, this year at the Roval. Can it happen? I mean, when you're not in the playoffs, does Jimmy Johnson, I mean, he had a shot last year, was going for that win, you just said. I think it really can happen. It, last year at the Roval, I mean, it just, from the time that they designed the racetrack and we started testing there, he was just on it. And, you know, he's got a road course win, but you wouldn't consider Jimmy Johnson the best road course driver out there. But, I mean, he showed up. They were quick. From the moment they got on the racetrack during the weekend, he was fast. And, and obviously right here, he had an opportunity to go for the win. And, you know, I know some people at the time were like, why didn't you just settle to make the, to the next round? Well, that's not Jimmy Johnson's style. You don't win seven championships by settling. He hasn't won for a while. So I don't see now, this weekend, if they have that same type of speed where he's got no pressure trying to make it to the play. He's trying to spoil everybody to go out there and why he can't do that. Yeah, well, first of all, he sent it in there, which I thought was awesome to watch. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things I remember from last year was how fast he was through that backstretch chicane. Now, we've completely changed that. He was just incredible, though, and that's where he made that huge run on Martin Truex Jr. coming to that final chicane was that backstretch one. He just got an amazing run through it. He was so fast there, through there all day. So I think that, you know, was something that's maybe been taken away from him in terms of what he was so good there. But he mentioned, you know, having the higher downforce, having a little more security in the cars, those sorts of things. I think all that's just going to play. If you have if you were comfortable last year, you're probably just going to be more comfortable this really? year. You know, okay. in terms of just having more downforce, the cars could be a little bit more underneath us. Hopefully, I'm hoping, I don't know. I'm going to find out. Uh, <laughs> and I think, it. you know, just having that second year of knowing it's not such an unknown. So all that sort of lines up. And I think there's just an air amongst that team and from Jimmy of confidence. I, I, I sense there's, you know, I know they've mentioned to me a couple times about having good vibes within that race team. And I just think that right now they're in a zone of seeing like, hey, we don't have much to lose at this point, so everything's sort of a positive. And they, he mentioned, you know, building towards next season. I absolutely think that race team is in that position right now. Okay, we're not going to get into the changes that they made to the to the track, the layout. That's coming up later in the show. Yeah. But Jimmy did have a quote last week on racing as a non-playoff driver. He said, I saw quite a few situations where drivers in the playoffs took some desperate moves out there. I saw it happen to other drivers. I had a, a few make the move on me as well. It's a tricky situation to be, and I know they're going after every point they need, but so am I. We currently plan to not allow myself to be used up as I was in Vegas a couple of times. So right there, it shows that aggression. And I mean, you guys have both been there, you know, like in the sense of yeah. you're racing for something too, even if you're not in the playoffs. I, I've been in both situations. You know, I made the playoffs, and, and I've been the guy that, that has been in the playoffs. And 
no driver wants to be that guy that goes out there and, and wrecks a playoff contender. But at the same point, they the people that are in the playoffs have to understand that, like, hey, the people that are out of the playoffs, they're quite upset. Jimmy Johnson's <laughs> never been in this position before, right. so he somewhat forgets, hey, he is that guy that used to do that every year. And, you know, you take somebody like Daniel Suarez where he's he was bouncing off his teammate on the first lap where he got into Joey Logano. You know, he's at an organization that has cars in the playoffs, that have won races. He was at an organization the previous couple of years that had cars in the playoffs and won a race. He hasn't won a race. So he has a lot of pressure for him, whether maybe he's fighting for a job or just trying to go out there and win his first race. The Austin Dillon thing and Bowman at Richmond, you know, RCR, they've had a struggling year. They're not happy. So the drivers that aren't in the playoffs are frustrated. And they're. I always looked at it as I don't want to be that guy that causes an issue. But the playoff drivers have a lot more to lose than I do. So how much risk are they willing to take? And there's a fine line there. So that's been my point. And I find that's a really interesting question I get asked a lot, especially this season driving in a part-time capacity. You know, Indy, just a couple weeks ago, was really awkward for me in terms of I know for my race team, I owe it to them that every car out there looks the same to me, right? I, it doesn't matter what situation they're in. I've got to beat them because as a part-time team, every finish matters so much to us. We're not running there for points. It's literally what that finish is at the end of the day matters most. And I'll tell you, though, that no matter what, when I was racing around Daniel Suarez at Indy, I couldn't help but think, man, this guy has a lot to lose today. You know, this guy is up for a lot. I've got to race. I've just got to be a little bit cognizant of the fact that this is some situation he's in. So I think, you know, as race drivers, we all try to say, we're just going to race you all the same. It doesn't matter what situation I'm in. But there comes a time where it's only natural that you understand because you're paying attention, obviously, as a non-playoff driver, that these playoff drivers are racing for something a little bit bigger, right, at times. But at the same time, as you put it, they have more to lose. Yeah. So it's it's a catch-22 you constantly find yourself in. I don't think there's any – you know, it's, some, it's a question I think a lot of people outside our sport – that don't understand racing and how playoff drivers race with non-playoff teams and think, you know, well, that must be really odd. It's just something that we've all had to navigate together because of the situation you're put in, in that sense. And, and I will say, you know, that's like that at every playoff round. Now, the championship four, there there was something like, if I happen to be around them, you almost bail out of the way. Like, <laughs> I mean, unless you're battling for the win of the race, like, because th that's a different one. The, the, it's those four drivers but, yeah, I mean, it's they're always going to have more to lose than the guys that aren't in the playoffs. You mentioned paying attention. Before we go to break, um, during that, maybe the line of the day from AJ, they are talking, <laughs> Jimmy Johnson talking about financial maintenance, saying uh, with his girls, you know, the, hope, hope their allowances. Yeah, they're, Jimmy, they're, they're going to be okay, I think. You're, <laughs> That's what just throwing like, it out there. Be okay. But, no, it's cool that they were doing that. And, you know, I thought it was a great cool program. Yeah. And it's really, sure. it's great yeah. for, I mean, you're a millennial, you know. I could use I could use the financial help you need to, to be honest. To yes. I'm heading time. over to Ally, Ally that, that, that campus that. situation immediately. Yeah. They'll let me in. I don't know. But that's just a little behind the scenes from AJ for you before we go to break. But coming up, Jeff Burton and longtime NASCAR race director David Hoots share stories about one short track that's big on intensity. Hoots Tales is next here on NASCAR America. Ask people, they often say, it's in my blood. All these drivers and these teams, they work so hard and they are ready to put on a show for you tonight. People that were here want to be here. This is our weekend getaway. All these races are cool on the short tracks just because there's so many fans that come out there every single weekend. For 
me, the most important thing is to give him an opportunity to do something that he loves so much. That's really what this is all about. There's nothing more important than a small town in the grassroots. There's nothing more important than racing. Definitely not retired. I love doing it. The racing community is bonded by her. Everybody has the same passion, and yet they come at it from many different angles. To me, that's America. I know what you're thinking. I have to watch Drivers and Dream Grassroots Racing in America. It debuts this Saturday at 1 p.m., but here's what makes it cool. It was all recorded on the very same day this summer, but at local tracks all wow. over the country. Alaska, Maine, New Mexico, Minnesota, and North Carolina all on the same that day. That was really cool. Yeah, that gave me goosebumps a little bit. Debuts on Saturday. Of course, one of the tracks featured in the show, Bowman Gray Stadium, where longtime NASCAR race director David Hoots started his career in the sport, and he's got a few Hoots tales to tell about the Madhouse. So who are some of the greats that you remember racing here? I remember Richard Petty starting his streak here. I remember Wendell Scott coming in. Rex White in that beautiful gold and white car, the red number four on it, Ned Jarrett being here. There is a list that when you look at the Hall of Fame that have come through Bowman Gray Stadium, it's like the who's who of NASCAR Hall of Fame racing that's been here. The final event, So this place is known as the Madhouse. Why? If you've ever been here on a full moon and just seen the <laughs> elements that can come out, you would understand why. I remember uh, Bobby Allison, Curtis Turner, and something occurred during the race. Curtis spun Bobby out. Well, Bobby was never one to back down from anybody. And I think that's why he's one of the great champions. Still today. Still today. Well, the second time he spun him out, Bobby felt like that he needed to remind him that he was out there and that before the race was over, they're crossing the football field trying to ram each other. This is 1966. Now, it would be priceless to watch these two big Grand National cars going across the football field trying to wreck each other while the race was going on. I, I think what's great about that is that we saw that happen here last year. <laughs> we saw the same thing happen. and. and and I think, you know, that's what this racetrack offers, right? Mm -hmm. Is that it's so, it's so small and the groove, it's one groove. There's only one place you want to be and everybody fights for that groove. And, and people get very, very frustrated with each other, especially racing each other here every week, you mm -hmm. know? Had, the frustration level has to be exceptionally high. I, I think that's what adds to the excitement. The, the same token that you'll have these fans that are absolutely passionate to watch these cars go around. And let's face it, you and I both know it. Racing fans are some of the greatest fans of all time. And I think Parker and AJ agree as we were watching that, you said what? I love Bowman Gray. You guys were both saying that. <laughs> it's awesome. I, I've gone there a couple times, and it's just an incredible experience. The atmosphere is insane. I remember the first time I went, you know, I'd seen the pictures, I'd seen videos, it was a show at the time, and I remember thinking, well, you know, I can get there a little like later. Like, we don't need to be there that early. 
We arrived, couldn't find parking, getting into, I, I was surprised we were even allowed in because it was so packed and uh, it was just an insane experience. I went back a couple times because I thought it was amazing. So I, I love that. If you haven't done it as a race fan, you got to go check it out just one time because I don't think there's an atmosphere like it. It's, yeah. It's insane. Like what, what you see of guys in the infield running into each other. I mean, that pretty much happens on a weekend basis yes. there. Like it's. It's insanity. I mean, it's called the Madhouse for a reason, and that's probably an understatement. Well, and if you can't <laughs> yeah. make it there, remember to tune in this Saturday at 1 really? p.m. You'll see Bowman Gray yes. uh, for, right there along with Alaska. Oh, it's going to be really cool. Driver and Dream, so you got to check it out. Well, from Bowman Gray to the last frontier, yeah, let's talk about Alaska. It's next on our 50 States in 50 Days Tour. We're visiting Alaska Raceway Park, which first opened as a drag strip in 1964. Today, it's the only drag strip in the state. Each year, it hosts the Thunder Valley Flag Drags, a retro party in the pits that includes vintage dragsters, a car show, pinup contest, and more. It looks like a lot of fun. In 2015, the park added a NASCAR-sanctioned short track. This one-third mile bull ring features great views of Pioneer Park. Look at that, Look at that. which looms over the finish line. One of its up-and-coming legends, Tanya Clam, the lone female driver at the track. She is a two-time champion in Baby Grands and holds the state's lap record for a sprint car on asphalt. Very cool. We gotta follow Tanya for sure. Another regular at Alaska Raceway Park is Lance Mackey. Now Lance is a four-time winner of both the Iditarod and the Yukon Quest sled dog races. One of the greatest mushers of all time, Lance took up auto racing in 2015 when he stepped into a Legends car for the first time. He's been competing in them ever since. How about that, guys? So, yeah, he, he was like, man, this race car is a lot more, it's, it's a lot warmer in here. Say the warm yeah, it's, it just seems too. more warm in this. Short track with the hashtag my track my route seasons over at Alaska Raceway Park, but maybe just in time. Pioneer Peaks starting to get some snow. Yeah, it looks like it'd be looks like it'd be pretty cold even in the in the I race car. I just never thought there. I'd see a sprint car with you know snow covered mountains right. in the background. As for Arizona Speedway, how about this for a weather transition? They'll have racing through the end of November this weekend. They're going to host the Hall of Fame Classic for sprint cars. All right, Eric Jones began his racing career at age seven. Today, he's one of NASCAR's brightest young stars. Who helped him reach such heights? Find out in the latest edition of Behind the Driver when we return. Joseph Newgarden won his second NTT IndyCar Series championship last weekend, but he'll soon be back behind the wheel. Tomorrow, Newgarden will make a demo run in his Team Penske IndyCar on the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And you can see it live during Fan Friday. That's at 5.30 Eastern here on NBCSN. We're going to be out of the track for that tomorrow. Eric Jones faces a must-win situation this weekend on the Roval after his car was disqualified at Richmond. He fell 45 points behind the cut line, but Eric has faced much tougher times in his career and has pushed forward with the help of those who know him best. Let's meet one of those in the latest Behind the Driver. Eric Jones trying to get the Southern 500 win after his parents gave so much for him to have this opportunity. You know, we all had to have people that kind of were a huge influence in our life and help direct and make us, you know, who we are and get to that point. My parents, number one for me. I'll be there for you. My mom got me started in racing, and then me and my dad kind of took it to the next level. What have kind of been the things that, that she contributed throughout your racing career? Well, she was um, 
my first manager, I guess you could say. You know, me and my dad took care of the racing side of things, and she was always the one that was pushing to try to find sponsorship and get my name out there. And we didn't really necessarily know how to do that uh, in our family, and, and she was actually able to really get me my first couple connections with some really good people in racing through cold calls and knocking on random doors. And uh, she really paved a lot of the way for me to move up through the ranks and, and get connected with the right people to get into NASCAR. He's always been really competitive since he was a little kid and very much driven to do things the way he wanted to do them. When his dad came home and said, hey, we're going to put him in a full-size car, I'm like, I don't think so. And, and they did, and obviously things fell into place. The youngest winner ever in the history of the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Dad ready to celebrate at Victory Lane. Driving with a heavy heart today. Eric Jones placing a decal with his father's name on the car after Dave Jones lost his brave battle with cancer on Tuesday. Jones fought hard all day. The relationship through the years, and then obviously things changed uh, with your dad's passing, but uh, how's that continued to build you and mold you as a person and as a driver at times? It's been a, a good journey over the last few years of moving into the Cup Series and growing as a driver and as a person, and, and my mom's been there through uh, that whole transition. I've tried to wean myself off from being at every race. Um, <laughs> it's hard because I missed the first win last year at Daytona. Back and forth, back and forth, break the air, break the air. Come on, baby. Yeah, man! Woo! Yeah! Eric Jones in his 100th start in the Monster Energy Cup Series is going to win the Southern 500. Finally get to victory lane. I feel like it's been coming for us for a long time, so it just feels really good. Michigan, she's got some chickens and dogs and all kinds of stuff up there, so I don't get to always see her as much as I want to, but uh, she makes a good effort to get to a lot of races. It's always special when you see these. And by the way, our Behind the Driver series continues this week. We're going to see the people of influence, Bubba Wallace and William Byron, but I know as you guys are watching that, it's always special to see um, for Eric Jones. I know he's in a must-win situation. This weekend, too. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, his story is, is pretty incredible. I remember when he first came to KBM. Uh, I was racing the Xfinity car, and here's this young, shy kid comes in, and then he hops in the truck and is incredibly fast, goes out and wins at Phoenix. I was like, where did that come from, this kid? <laughs> and then he just kept rising through the ranks the way he did on a ferocious pace, and uh, it's been quite a ride for him. And I know how much his family has meant to him, how much, you know, he was so young and shy when he came down here. So I know that they've definitely had to, you know, sort of guide him along the way. But in terms of this season and what he has to do at the Roval, I, I think it's a tall task to win. That being a must-win position at the Roval, I, I just think that's a, you know, it's a very tall task, not a road racing background in that sense. I think, uh, I think there's other cars I would put ahead of him in terms of the speed that they're going to bring that would be his biggest obstacle in terms of winning. Obviously, his mom needs to show up because that's the good yes, luck. Yeah. That was a good luck charm at Darlington. Historic racetrack. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, is it a tall, tall task? For sure. 
It can't happen, though, mm-hmm. because if you look at this racetrack, and we saw last year on the restart, anything can happen. Eric Jones, yeah, he's not a, a road racer per se, but he's got enough speed in him that, and especially these JGR cars, that he qualifies up front and is able to stay up front early in this race. Then, as we've seen, anything can happen, and track position is going to be critical. So if he can get up front late in the race somehow, and he was, I think, I mean, the finish was, what, 30th there? But he was running inside the top 10 mm-hmm. for most of that race. So he's going to have the speed. Yeah, you look at maybe a Kyle Busch, Martin Trex Jr. out of JGR. They're probably more the favorites. But it, you just can focus on, we don't have to worry about points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just got to win the race. Yep. Some of these other yeah. guys, they have to worry about it. They can just focus on Only going for the win because that's all that matters. Well, Everything I, was good that you just said, but you swayed the vote. Oh, you've got the poll. The poll is up. That's our poll question. Out there. No one agrees. Which driver? There's four drivers below the cut line. If you think <laughs> one of them is going to jump up ahead of it, who do you think it'll be? And right now, honestly, no one's listening. Well, I wasn't. I think you actually. I wasn't voting for it. Well, I, I just said it can happen. I'm just saying you were swaying nobody. You can yeah. still get your vote in. We're going to have the results later on in the show. As these two continue to argue, we will discuss the fact that the Roval was challenging enough last year. But it may be even more difficult the second time around. AJM Parker will explain why when you NASCAR America. You want me to run America, some laps on it? Yeah, no, <laughs> we don't. No, no. Not again. No. Okay. All right. Not again. <laughs> Trex Jr. would drive away after that restart. Jimmy really doesn't have to win this race. He just needs to finish to be able to get into the next round, but he's going for the win. How surprised were you to see Jimmy make that move on you to try to take the lead? I was not surprised at all at him trying to take the lead. One lap left. I felt like we come off the chicane. Look, he's there. What a great corner. And I, I knew I didn't get through as good as I needed to. Jimmy Johnson now pulls to the bumper. I knew Jimmy was close. And I was going to have to start to lift. And I'm like, okay, just don't let him get on your right side. Now he goes to the inside. So I kind of halfway gave him some room. Here comes Jimmy Johnson. Oh! Locks the brakes up. Oh, he's And he's going to slide. He slides through the middle. It was crazy that he spun and went across behind me. Damn it. Truex gets oh, No, I wasn't surprised it happened. I was surprised that he spun back across the track. Jimmy trying to get down in that corner too hard. Wow. And honestly, in that moment, I seen it happening. Like I looked in my mirror, seeing him in the grass coming towards the back of my car. And I'm like, if I go straight here, I think they're going to take the win from me. And I just tried to turn and get some of that curve. That's when he clipped me. So it's like, it was a crazy situation the way it happened, but I wasn't surprised, you know, at the move or what he did. I've never had top two guys take each other out and, and us win the race in any form of my racing. <laughs> awesome. Not the best way to win a race, but uh, we worked hard all day to put ourselves there and took advantage of the opportunity. And um, yeah, that was a wild one. But how about Ryan Blaney? Who knew? about not watching after that come on it's a busy day tomorrow from charlotte starting with cup series practice at noon that's going to be parker we'll also have a double header of nascar america including fan friday at 5 30 eastern aj you're on the track at one and again at three and then parker at four th- okay i can't yep. keep track yep. of all this 
And then don't forget that Joseph Newgarden is going to take his Indy car for a lap around the Roval, and you'll see that as part of that Fan Friday coverage at 5.30. Earlier today, the Burtons, Jeff and son Harrison, went out for their own ride. The Roval for a brand new driver. <laughs> Never seen it before. Check this track out. It's crazy. This has turned into the hardest racetrack on the circuit, I think. Because it's such a combination of speed and super slow. Look at that wall. You're looking straight at the wall. Like, that's nuts. Blind corner. Can't see anything. Like, you cannot see. It's my son driving, by the way. He wrecked me. I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> then uphill, then downhill. Then sharp corner. A lot of people busted their butt right there last year. This is a cool corner. Look at how big the curves are. Get all the racetrack. The old super getting to work out. Check out the elevation change. Look at this. Who knew Charlotte Motor Speedway had an elevation change in infield? Look at this blind corner. Can't even see the racetrack. The racetrack completely leaves you right there. <laughs> I don't like being a passenger. Traditional turn one. Some campers, I got a great shot. Now, I want you to check out the emojis. I don't know that you're going to be able to break it to four. I think the signs are way too early. Yeah. That's my favorite emoji right there. Oh no! <laughs> Huge curves. Taking us along for the ride. I know yeah, we're studying wait. a little bit. Were you giving him some tips? Wait a second. Hold that? on. I, that happen? I've never been on there either. I want to get the free ride around there. I got a race Harrison. Why? I got I mean, a rental car out front. So you both have issues yeah, right now. Is, yeah. I got a Toyota Corolla right out front. I can come down there. You know, Marcus Smith, Charlotte, let me come down after the show. I'll get just some rides. After yeah, the show, just go. Just yeah. drive right out on the track. Just, and just see head what on happens. over there. Yeah. Like, be like what Matt Benedetto did last year. His team didn't test, so he took his. took his. I think he had a Mustang, took it out there on a track day and ran laps. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so explain to fans at home what we just saw there in terms of the differences. You guys already talked about yeah. the downforce. That I mean, that backstretch, the chicane is what everyone's going to be talking yeah. about. So you ran it last year, but the big thing is it's far slower now. So this is a major braking zone, whereas last year it wasn't quite this abrupt. You had it was a lot quicker, sort of more pink. gradual. Yeah, yeah, it was more gradual. Now you come to a very, a, you slow down far more. You're still going to get to about fourth gear, 160, 165 miles an hour before you break down into the chicane. But then it's all the way down to second gear through here, and then it's about getting the power down to AJ on the exit portion. This is going to be interesting because this is, I, it's a very unique design. Yeah, last year's chicane was a hold your breath, as we see on the left side there. It was every lap, we saw some huge wrecks in practice between Eric Jones, Bubba Wallace. So it was a corner that, like, I mean, every lap, I literally would go down there and just 
take a breath and say a prayer and hope I got through the other <laughs> oh, side right. of it. Here, it does lend itself in 2019 now into the chicane, another passing zone because you're going to be heavy on the brakes. The four markers probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be, if there was a five marker, yeah. probably there. So it's an outbreaking zone. It's still going to be critical to get the power on the exit because if you spin the tires and as the tires go away, mm -hmm. that's going to lend itself for a passing opportunity in the last corner. So yep. uh, I, what Charlotte has done, because they we all talked about it, they did what they had to do last year just to, to have the chicane there. They really worked on making it safer for all the drivers, making a passing opportunity. So it's going to be fun to go out there and try it tomorrow. And so, we, Parker, clean the track off for me. Yeah, and let me know right. how it goes. We Thanks. have to get to Can break. Can you coach but me? Just in, get on the radio and watch me as I go about? I can't help you, man. Oh, I can't. We have to get to break, but in one word, how crazy is turn might. one still going to be, though? That turn one entry. It's it, the, on, on the starts, it's insane. Yeah. Like, starts and restarts. Yep. Which we saw, that's where a trouble happened. A couple of playoff happens. drivers that got to throw it down. we asked you to take part in our NASCAR America poll question, which of the four playoff drivers below the cut line will advance? You think they will advance to the next round on Sunday? If you haven't voted, go to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR vote. Now you only have a couple of minutes. Final results are next. The Roval awaits after Sunday's wildcard race. Four drivers will be eliminated from the playoffs. Don't let that intimidate you when setting your fantasy team. Here is Dan Beaver's Roto World cheat sheet for this weekend. His garage picks, Denny Hamlin and Jimmy Johnson. That's two solid picks, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. Dan is red flagging Joey Logano, who has mm. finished 23rd in both road course races this season. All right. Uh, I guess ready for the poll question? I don't know if I want to reveal my pick yet. I know. We put you on the spot earlier and you gave us nothing. So here's, I don't know if we locked this in yet. This is which driver below the cut line will make the next round. Do you guys have well, some Well, poor Eric Jones has just been completely dropped in the bottom here after AJ's uh, I mean, saying what should happen. I mean, he has All right, so I'm going to give my pick now. I'm just oh, going to put are. it out there before we finalize of this. Of these four. If of these four, the Would one that makes make it out. just make a pick? Alex Bowman. He okay. ran really well at the Roval last year. He's very close. I think it's two points. He and absolutely, of these four, has the best chance. Lock it in. Lock it in because right. pretty much NASCAR America does not agree with you, Parker. I just wanted well, to America's say that. Well, America's wrong. Just put it out there. You're wrong. What do they say? It, that's just, they're just going off personality. No, no, no. This is actual results. I'm going off results. All right. All right. Yeah. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. And chances America, are, I mean, you're wrong. We don't know if any of the four will make it, but that's I true. like that we are throwing it out there and mixing yeah. it up. Do you guys have a pick for the race? Race winner. <laughs> I mean, uh, so I was going to go out on a limb here mm -hmm. and definitely not pick Parker. <laughs> but I was going to go with Truex Jr. to sweep okay. Ooh, all sweep three. But you know what? The first round. Sweep because the first round. Just because yep. for allowances and college college money, Jimmy needs the win for his daughters. I'm going, JJ. <laughs> I'm going to say in the cup race, the fans win because this event's awesome. I can't wait to watch it. Victory lap, proving grounds afterwards, and in the Xfinity race, literally so anyone wait, other than AJ about, can win. Did you think about picking yourself? Yeah, yeah. I was going to pick myself. AJ had a response. Yeah. I asked the guys in the truck to have, or the booth to have this yeah, ready. I, he what said was, that. He said where's himself. Where's the cat? Where's the cat? There I, it is. That's AJ's response to Parker. Yeah, I don't like that cat anymore. <laughs> I disagree with that, that cat. That will do it for us. Our coverage from the Robo gets started at noon with Cup Series practice. Parker and AJ will both be on the track tomorrow. Don't forget to join us for Fan Friday at 5.30 Eastern. Thank you.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.